So, uh, hi everyone, this is my little small project called Between Ideas and Subcultures and I want to welcome my uh, dear friend, Mario Lahusha uh, here, um, who recently wrote an interesting paper about uh, feminism and uh, nuclear policy. So, uh, hi Mario. Hi, thanks for hi. having me here. <laughs> and this is, we know each other maybe for yeah, well, over eight years, maybe something like that, and maybe this is for the first time, right, that we speak in English, so it's a bit weird, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> manage. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, actually, yeah, and I think I, I think we are still, yeah, we are still recording. Okay, great. So, <laughs> okay, so maybe this is a test run, so we can be more relaxed. But um, yeah, but it's quite interesting. But okay, you wrote your paper in English, and you are actually from Belarus, so we speak we speak Slovak because well, you you taught me Russian uh, actually, like even formally a little bit. Uh, we are former co-workers, and me and my another co-worker Tanya, uh, we were your students for a while. But it from my side, it was a bit of a failure, fail because I didn't prepare myself well, right? <laughs> but it was fun. To me, it was always fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. But you taught me uh, how to write uh, Russian written alphabet, so... <laughs> At least something. Yeah, you did something, so I can actually... Yeah, and I can... I need to progress because uh, my... What is it? The brother-in-law is Russian, right? So actually, there is this concept of a forcing function. So it's like uh, when, you, when you need to get to work early, uh, that's a forcing function, like, or actually on time, because otherwise you will be, I don't know, punished. So it's like a forcing function, but th this is the same thing. Like uh, my uh, brother-in-law and my sister, will they will move to Slovakia maybe at the end of the, the year. And so I need to learn at least some basic Russian because it doesn't speak English well. Anyhow, so. Yeah, so maybe I will, I will let you speak, but maybe just to say that we were uh, colleagues at Pontis Foundation. We uh, we focused on these international development projects and some other projects also in Slovakia uh, with corporate social responsibility. And you studied uh, something around like uh, connected or your topic uh, of research is uh, peace studies, if I'm correct, or something around peace. And now currently I'm working at the International Institute for Peace in Vienna. And you wrote something about feminism and uh, nuclear policy or some gender aspects of nuclear policy. And actually the the, uh, the question or the, the title of the ar article is like, might feminism revive arms control? Uh, question mark. <laughs> Why greater inclusion of women in nuclear policy is necessary and how to achieve it? So that's, uh, that's your title. And uh, well, I, uh, we, we discussed this article before uh, when you were writing it and then also shortly before. And well, I like lots of points there, but maybe I will just let you to um, maybe to talk a bit about um, yeah, like what is the idea behind it or what you like or what you, what you learned from, from, your, from writing the article. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. 
So uh, I just need to make this remark at the beginning while I'm saying I'm, that I'm speaking about nuclear policy. I mean basically nuclear weapons policy, since nuclear policy can be related also to nuclear energy and other sectors. But here we're speaking mostly about disarmament, arms control, and non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. So basically the idea of this paper was uh, um, came out of a workshop uh, that we at the International Institute for Peace organized with another NGO here in Vienna, uh, which the aim of the workshop was to develop ideas about feminist foreign policy. And this all is happening also in the year 2020, which celebrates the 20th anniversary of a very important uh, United Nations resolution on uh, women, peace and security. So the resolution was adopted by the United Nations Security Council, which for the first time basically acknowledged or like made it very visible the role uh, that women play, especially in security, not generally in politics, but very specifically in peace talks, in security uh, sector and so on. And so I, since I also had some previous background on uh, nuclear uh, security, I decided that I will combine these two areas. So on one hand, we have women in security and then there is this field of Armament and arms control, which is which in the recent years uh, has been um, very. Uh, there were a lot of tensions, a lot of disagreements on uh, like on the UN level, so among negotiators from different countries, and there were also some other developments, bilateral developments between Russia and the US, uh, multilaterally the agreement with Iran, also between the US and North Korea. So lots of stuff which for now looks very grim. So many of these agreements are collapsing and there seems to be lack of progress on almost any front. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, currently we live through this COVID-19 pandemic. So we feel some very salient, the, this notion of existential risks, like, okay, maybe existential risks from, from, from some biological, mm, agents or pollution or um, even weapons but uh, nuclear policy has been here for decades and actually people got maybe even too comfortable with like uh, nothing much terrible happening even there were some close calls and some accidents and uh, some standoffs like uh, the Cuban mi mi missile crisis uh, etc but uh, uh, it seems like humanity managed to escape this, this trouble. And there was actually also something positive uh, recently, it was like in 2017, and there was this ICANN, if, uh, if, uh, if I'm correct, the abbreviation ICANN, I guess even. Um, yeah, uh, ICANN, uh, and they got the Nobel Peace Prize, if I'm correct. And so this was maybe the positive, and you know, you said that, okay, uh, this is the, the positive aspect of uh, maybe one positive thing about in this area, but now currently it seems like the, the world is getting more and more polarized and uh, the multilateralism is like uh, receding or has some problems. And on the other hand, uh, populism and kind of nationalism is on the right. But sorry, maybe this is too wide, but getting back, back to you uh, and uh, to, yeah, maybe if you say something about this 2017, or what, what yeah. was the achievement? Yeah, so, no, you were very right about mentioning the uh, adoption of this treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. 
which uh, was on on the one hand it was of course very uh widely celebrated everywhere around the world already like uh, i think at the assembly over 120 countries voted voted in favor of this treaty um now there are still still need a couple of more ratifications for the treaty to to actually enter into force but uh, what's uh, what's sort of the sad part of of this whole initiative how this treaty was actually developed and uh, came into being was not that much that like everyone around the world was always like willing to create something like this and then finally they did it but it was more out of frustra frustration of those countries that already like were pointing for very very many years that those states that possess nuclear weapons and that under another uh, the probably most important international treaty on nuclear weapons uh, the, those nuclear weapon states they uh, did commit to disarmament but they have never done that and in the recent years actually the opposite has been happening their nuclear weapons programs have been modernized they created more sophisticated weapons they created more targeted weapons so it's not really it's not really that they're growing their nuclear arsenals, but the arms race now is not about having more weapons, but having them more sophisticated. So uh, this is a little bit, um, so that was kind of the opposition of towards this trend, uh, the creation of the treaty itself. But of course, at the same time, it also like by just being there, it establishes an international norm, uh, a norm that was never there before. So there are three types of, um, weapons of mass destruction those are biological chemical and nuclear weapons and for biological and chemical weapons there already has been uh, some sort of a legal prohibition uh, of the use of those weapons and for nuclear weapons there was never anything like that and now finally there is a such document the question is only how long will it take for this norm to become that strong that states who already now have nuclear weapons give them up Cool. So I just like to make the uh, some yeah. I, the topic is quite urgent and quite important. If we may borrow the effective altruism language, like of uh, neglected importance and uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, urgent. So like okay, it's also quite neglected because it's like uh, business. Well, it's kind of an old business of nuclear. Uh, disarmament or uh, this kind of like going back to the 60s right the, the some peace um, protest uh, but uh, currently it seems like uh, in this multipolar world uh, it's getting um, the situation is actually maybe worse than people realize like uh, security wise but getting back to your topic of like or some meta topic of seeing uh, nuclear weapons or uh, security policy from the, the viewpoint or connecting it to the topic of gender or feminism. So, uh, well, what I remember from your article, like one, uh, there were several interesting topics uh, well, or points that I took. Uh, one was that, okay, it's kind of perceived that these like weapon systems is like something like, like hard security uh, and then there is this concept of soft security of, <clears throat> let's say, some country branding and some um, 
indirect kind of building of goodwill between uh, different players and kind of like projecting some soft power um, through, let's say, uh, different types of corporations or uh, let's say through culture. And so women are more kind of this masculine versus feminism, uh, feminine like uh, aspects are also played here in this kind of like hard security versus soft security, even for actors, I remember it well from your art. Yeah, that's very because it's quite it's sort of complicated and maybe even a little bit controversial. So, um, on one hand, you have uh, hard security, which is traditionally understood as military security, so weapon systems, uh, all sort of defense, uh, ar uh, the you know the army and all this stuff, uh, military, and then and then you have soft security, which is understood as this. Um, something which is also called like fem more feminist approaches, sort of looking, uh, looking into on the individual level, looking into, you know, like environmental risks, looking into um, human security. So we aren't focusing on something which something as we understand it, the national state interest, but we look into uh, individual interests sort of. So. Uh, every individual wants to live in a healthy and have access to medical um, services and, and so forth. Um, and so this is this is basically the debate around nuclear weapons, or at least those uh, nuclear weapons abolitionists. That's what they're suggesting. They're suggesting to refocus the debate on understanding of, of nuclear weapons as something important for national uh, security towards how they're actually detrimental to every single person's individual security. So even, even security of those who are actually in charge of those weapons and who actually would then in some potential war scenario would strike, would push the button that would mm -hmm. uh, destroy the gun. So, yeah, and when you mention actually this neglected importance, I wouldn't say that nuclear weapons are neglected. So there's sort of is like in on the international level or on the, on the security establishment of those states those weapons there is um, this very like present understanding that they are like very important but this importance understood in terms of how they are important for our military uh, how they're important for our defense uh, you know capabilities but not in terms of how uh, how bad it can all end, you know, if if something happens, so, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, you also previously mentioned Cuban Missile Crisis, but there were like, uh, there are actually numerous accidents that happened around nuclear weapons in different parts of the world that, uh, that were like, it was very close to, to, Know, to, to to a big disaster, but somehow yes, they they, they were averted or prevented. So yeah, but again, like you know, the longer the longer you wait statistically, right, the probability rises that something something will happen. The longer something doesn't happen, uh, like a, a, you know, the the more likely it it is to happen. Uh, in yeah, yeah, it's it's like playing. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's also kind of interesting, like these uh, close calls uh, and 
this almost like near accidents actually can keep us alert and um, maybe they yeah they in a way or paradoxically paradoxically can like uh, keep yeah keep us alert and in this way like maybe um, make us more protected but since uh, nothing like that happens for a long time maybe people get more complacent that uh, I guess those similar could be with something like we've never uh, we haven't experienced such pandemic uh, as now maybe since the 60s since some Hong Kong flu or yeah maybe, yeah. maybe we again, we again like started speaking more about nuclear weapons than like, yeah, yeah. moved away from from what role women can play in that. So yeah, exactly. To, yeah, to emphasize is that um, so uh, it's not it's not only um, you know um, so the point is not only to include women to disarm you know in nuclear disarm, you know if you look at national states where there are nuclear weapons. Even in this nuclear weapon field, though in that particular state, there is very few women that are present there. And of course, who do the job uh, in the military around nuclear weapons, they aren't there to disarm, or most of them, you know, like since until until nuclear weapons remain like at the core of national security uh, posture, national security policy. So, but. Uh, I, in my paper, also argue that women should be included on all levels, also in this nuclear, nuclear security, um, you know, establishment that actually, you know, develops or maintains all this war planning uh, exercises and so on. Uh, why? Because for simply there are many reasons why, why women should be included in any sphere, and the most simple of them is, you know, representation argument that uh, there are like 50-50 a percent population on earth or in any other country and so like any issue that uh, concerns women and men uh, to an equal extent uh, women and men should be represented and have they should have a say yeah but um mm -hmm. also you, you mentioned uh, another argument it's like women and men are um uh, are affected by even like nuclear radiation, but meaning even like some disasters, uh, like Chernobyl or something differently because of biology. Yeah. Maybe you can. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are some interesting examples in your paper. I don't know with something like some islands and some uh, some tribes or or some. Uh, I mean, people who uh, live there they eat different parts of fish, and maybe when the fish is exposed to radiation, so it's even like in such a like down-to-earth practical matters but even in some more kind of uh, traumas or um, uh, stereotypes or like kind of uh, many issues connected to uh, uh, to giving birth and like being pregnant uh, after some uh, uh, disaster happens or something like that so yeah maybe yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so uh the studies that were conducted about the impact of ionizing radiation that's released as a result of the detonation of a nuclear weapon or as a result of any nuclear explosion. So when Chernobyl accident happened in, in Ukraine uh, in 1986, it was also a nuclear explosion and that also affected people in the long term. So here, like to, to see the, the different impact of radiation on women and men, we should take the long term because in the short term everyone is affected and it's horrible for anyone 
uh, in the long term, there was a study um, of uh, survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing of 1945. That was the only time when a nuclear weapon was actually used uh, in, um, in conflict. Uh, so there, over a long term, women were, uh, as it was shown in the paper, were twice as likely to develop cancer than men. Mm -hmm. Which, is, which is a huge difference, actually. Yeah. Big difference, yes. Uh, and then, and then another point was that uh, through their social standing, uh, they were also, or their roles, you know, bi biological roles, also they were stigmatized, as it was th thought that they will not be able to give birth to health after being exposed So yeah, and, and then there are other examples of how different eating habits also affect. Um, uh, women and men differently. There is a very, uh, I found it fascinating example of uh, local communities on the Marshall Islands where um, the United States used to test a lot their weapons, nuclear weapons. And so it was found that women uh, traditionally eat different uh, parts of meat than men. So we eat both in Oregon, which uh, usually accumulates. Uh, this radiation more so by this they're exposed and on the other hand uh, men for example in a region of Russia which was also affected by, by Chernobyl severely they were they were more to radiation since they ate more forest products and uh, fish from lakes in that region so, okay yeah, that's <laughs> yeah they these like yeah, this was quite 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 fascinating. They like this really uh, well practical or uh, examples. Yeah, a specific example from uh, around the world. Maybe um, uh, we can just jump to uh, another topic where where there was something like creative adaptation. I think even correct. Uh, am I correct? Like there is like a, one term like where maybe also women can um, like the the be the benefits can be. Um, tangible beyond the representation argument like 50-50 argument or beyond the well it's not like skin in the game but like since women are affected or indigenous populations are affected so they should be also present into in uh, in the de decision making so maybe the third argument is also some kind of like lateral thinking or more creative thinking or like creative adaptation maybe if you can explain it and i don't know if when we will be cut off, but just like <laughs> yeah, well, more generally, more generally, the argument is about diversity. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's already common knowledge that more diverse groups make smart decisions. They are also more effective and they are more creative in in their work. Uh, if you look at the nuclear field on the international level, at the UN negotiations, or also uh, on the level of uh, States that possess those weapons, or uh, also in these expert communities, in these circles of analysts and researchers, it's mostly men. And it's even more um, older uh, white men. So, one of the problems is that there is too few young people in the field. Before you become, uh, you gather necessary expertise, so you are recognized uh, as, you know, a person sort of worth talking to you already become old because so much is required to know you know you need to know all the history you know you need to know all the technical you know technical uh, aspects of a weapon and stuff like that uh, and 
on the, on the other side, when you're like as a fresh young person, come up with new ideas, uh, they aren't that much appreciated. So the field in itself is very conservative. And so that's why it's not diverse enough. And women are also not represented there. And so it's not only about more women being included in the field, it's also about more young people being included in the field. It's also about indigenous communities being included there because they are, as you mentioned, are very much affected. Um, by the uh, nuclear tests, if it's not maybe like the connection for other people might not be relevant, but because of the nuclear tests are done on some kind of households yeah. or islands and somewhere in Pacific, so no. yeah. Yeah, uh, so yeah, but if speaking more specifically about women, you mentioned this uh, concept, uh, adaptive creativity, I think it was. Sorry, yeah, it's not creative adaptation, but adaptive creativity, okay. Yeah, so, yeah this is something that I would maybe like to look into more specifically. I, I didn't really make a lot of research on that, but uh, the idea is that uh, women are very good at a very specific type of creativity, which is this adaptive creati creativity, which means that they are good at uh building upon something so you have some structure which needs to be reorganized which needs, needs to be uh, reshaped or optimized and women can do that very well uh for sorts of reasons that i would like maybe to research more in future yeah but um this is this is what their uh advantage might might be but at the same time uh Again, coming back to this representation argument, it's not about that women have to have some sort of advantage or they have to be somehow useful to be included in the field. It's just their right. This is the most basic argument they have to be included. They, they, they are just part of, of the world, you know? So that's why they, they must be. Uh, yeah, but this, uh, this, uh, this is all the, 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 the third argument of uh, creative, Adaptive cre uh, creativity uh, is also, it's quite interesting as well because it's um, you said like uh, uh, like when you do some optimization so maybe like women can do it more holistically maybe I don't know if they get it well or or they can see more connections like they they perceive maybe complexity better than men that's my kind of like what I kind of observe or what I read but uh, I also need to look at it uh, more carefully. Yeah. I think it's, it would be interesting to look in terms of how uh, how things are negotiated. So uh, for now, let's leave aside all these technical aspects of weapons, which is which is important to some degree. But at the same time, if your goal is to actually get rid of weapons, you first need to you know like figure out the strategy how to do that, um, like together with others who are also doing that because it's all like an interconnected system. One will not disarm while others are rearming or something like that so and here what is important the most is the negotiation process i can give you some statistics from some, some other area uh which mainly peace building in peace building it was already uh, researched very well and already uh, proven that when women are included into in in the peace process the negotiation agreements that are concluded at the end are much more sustainable they last longer and they're more inclusive. So again, it's not to say that women are peaceful and that's why they're better at peace process. 
it's because they're also a big part of the society. And when a bigger part of the society is included into the negotiation process, that means that there is more representation and that means that there is more consensus in the society about something. So, so here again, and again, like to give you a specific example of how women actually have uh, negotiated uh, nuclear agreements, a very, um, no, quite popular example, example to refer to is the, the Iran nuclear deal, where uh, three women, uh, three women from the European Union and a woman from the United States were at the core of the negotiation process. So uh, uh, Catherine Ashton, Frederica Mogherini, who were um, successive um, high representatives of the European Union for external uh, affairs, uh, and then their, uh, their advisor, Helga Schmidt, who was actually, uh, you know, like the, the contact person for all other parties, more or less. And she negotiated the agreement uh, itself, the, the wording, the text of it. And on the US side, it was uh, Wendy Sherman, um, later on under Secretary of State uh, of the US. So she was on John Kerry's team during the negotiations. And she was like also uh, one of the main persons in the process. And so there was an agreement which, which actually was concluded. It was, um, uh, it was also sort of a breakthrough, I mean, a, a unique agreement in some ways, but again, unfortunately, it's now not really functioning. Mm. Now it's uh, falling apart, right? Or, <laughs> or yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, there, there is a, a, a lot to talk about, uh, Especially like yeah, I mean last time we 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 spoke also about this like uh, adaptive creativity that it's like something like um, well you know that I'm interested in complexity as well. I'm still just learning, uh, getting uh, some ideas for getting some ideas, but uh, this idea of uh, uh, adaptive creativity or creative adaptation is something that kind of reminds me of uh, this another term I recently. Um, learned uh, it's like exaptation so it's like uh using let's say uh, one thing uh, very creatively in another context so like for example uh, microwave came out okay um uh dave snowden he explains it like uh, the microwave was invented by one guy who noticed that his hershey bar uh, got melted uh, uh, when he was standing at some um a radar, uh, some some kind of military equipment or something with some uh, waves, and so he, uh, it, it, chocolate melted in his pocket, and he kind of ten years later the the microwave was on the market or something. So like creative adaptation, but maybe it's kind of like not the opposite of adaptation, but a, a reframing of adaptation. And so I think this 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 is also necessary in. Um, in, in this area of like soft security versus hard security or like thinking about those kind of terms but maybe creatively and reframing them somehow you know like uh, so I don't know what you think about it but I kind of I feel um, yeah like I feel hope when um, it, when I when this kind of topics like when the diversity of opinions and of experiences is greater I am kind of more hope, hopeful that we can escape some kind of stalemate or some kind of impasse and uh, break into like a open future or a definite future uh, and uh, come up with some 
yeah, some innovations. Yeah, I think I think it's a good point, and it, I also very much like the idea of uh, using something in some other context and coming up with something new. This is great. This is how I don't know social entrepreneurship works, right? Uh, but, uh, lots, lots of uh, projects of this sort. But uh, what uh, what is necessary on the international level to you know? Of course, there can be, as I mentioned before, in the nuclear field, it's quite it's quite conservative in terms of how how it works, how the mindsets are, and everything. So there are there might be creative ideas, but first problem is that they might not be heard, and second problem, even if they're heard, they might not be listened to. So here, what what I would say, like, but it's like an endemic problem, you know. It's like long as I've been, you know, like somehow following this nuclear discussion, it was like always there, this idea of lack of political will. So unless there is really, you know, a willingness to, to do something about it, to change things, that, then, I mean, you can, you can, of course, you can, of course, uh, indirectly influence it through civil society movements, through more discussions about it, uh, conferences, uh, research and everything. But unless the leaders really realize that that it's necessary to to you know move in the direction to the world without nuclear weapons, if we're yeah. talking about disarmament, happen. And unless leaders in countries realize that more women should be included in uh, in policy making, there won't be more women there. So there are some steps made, but it's a very slow process. I'm I'm not pessimistic about it. Lots a lot have been has been done, but again some pitfalls you know, like. yeah uh, concerning this topic of catastrophic risks or existential risks like okay this effective altruism movement is talking about it for a couple of years now i'm following also this like game b kind of uh, topic or people around it they also even talk about something like meta existential risks like uh, rivalry uh, being one or some exploitation of resources, um, uh, extra, excessive extraction and pollution, like uh, like another problem, and then uh, exponential technology as a third, like meta exponential, uh, sorry, meta existential risk. But generally, maybe people were not really that sensitive, or it wasn't so salient to to ma ma mainstream or majority of people and voters. And therefore, maybe even politicians didn't think about um, about these topics like catastrophic risks that much. But I think also this pandemic, uh, this COVID nineteen pandemic, could uh, could change change it because it's maybe for the first time ever that humanity was uh, united, uh, like globally, you know, like by one event, like it. Um, um, you know, like people in Nairobi or in some small villages, let's say in Kenya, were quarantined. People in New York, people in Bratislava or Vienna, we are all kind of experiencing the same event. And so it's kind of like on a planetary scale, we got united somehow. So I feel this this, I, uh, this topic of existential uh, risks or catastrophic risks, which is like a, like a level below existential risks, um, it becomes more salient, more important, like or accessible to uh, mainstream consciousness or public consciousness. And as you say, uh, and you argue well in your uh, paper uh, several times 
the women play an important role um, in um, uh, nurturing this topic further or like actually even breaking away from like this impasse or this uh, stalemate or how to call it. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned like, okay, uh, the rep representation argument that the, uh, women are like 50% of the population, why they should be also represented more in this, uh, this important area of nuclear uh, weapons um, control and uh, nuclear safety, weapons safety. And then you also mentioned, um, well, the, the second, uh, well, I like the creative adaptation or adaptive creativity argument. And then there was uh, another one, yeah, that the women are uh, affected maybe uh, in some respects or many, uh, some dimensions more or much more, even like twice as much as men concerning cancer, according to uh, some of the sources that you um, you mentioned. So I don't know, maybe, um, what, yeah, I mean, we, we, we discussed this, these topics from, I don't know, from meditation and Buddhism to effective altruism or just like to anything that we read. Uh, I know that I didn't still have time to watch those series of Sapolsky, is it, uh, that, you want, <laughs> you, that you want to discuss maybe next time, but uh, concerning this important topic of nuclear weapons safety and the women in this uh, area, maybe what, what, what else do you want to talk about or, or tell us? Yeah, I, I might I might then maybe encourage uh, um, the listeners to to check out the very specific recommendations that I make in the paper. But okay. uh, I guess those recommendations will be also very much for organizations and the governments. And one very specific recommendation for any civil society organization or uh, prominent individuals would be to join this uh, initiative. Uh, it's called the International Gender Champions. Uh, a very cool initiative that actually promotes uh, higher participation of women in all uh, areas, generally in policy making and foreign policy. But they also have a specific cluster on disarmament. And this initiative unites uh, heads of organizations of international organizations, society organizations, governments, and so on. And those people make very specific, those people who represent organizations, as organizations, they make specific pledges, how to, how they specifically can contribute and how they commit to contribute to this issue. I find it very practical because exactly can, you can see the progress. Sometimes we're just lacking this sense of, of having moved somewhere. There is, uh, as I said, there is this movement, there is some progress, but it's very slow. And just just even for the sake of the good feeling, you need to measure it to see how things are and how they are changing. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, it's a quite a new initiative, so still we'll see what, what will come out of it. But so far, I think that's, that's one of the very few, very specific things that oh. I found done in this field. Yeah, we should put it in the link, so the, like uh, also your paper and maybe this recommendation, or maybe just your paper, so they read it <laughs> at the end. Of yeah, time. yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you. Maybe I just like it's gonna be one hour soon, and I don't know how, when we'll we will be cut off or something. So I think we should. Oh, yeah. are we? Yeah, it's still uh, recording. It's still no, recording. Because, okay, I, I think we can finish here.
Okay. And now we can switch to Slovak. <laughs> all right, all right. So thank you, Maria, uh, for for your uh, yeah for talking to, yeah. to, to me and to yeah, discussing your paper. I didn't. I think yeah, we we could discuss uh, some lots of issues, uh, some other yeah. things like concerning complexity and biology and Buddhism and uh, anything starting with B, like game B or affected altruism. Okay. <laughs> Thank you and take care. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Kubo, Kubo.